Hello, welcome to the Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. Today we're going to talk a little bit about the Pathfinder playtest. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast. Well, it's pretty simple. Uh, on this podcast, we like to talk about games. And also do tongue twisters, I guess. Yeah. Because Pathfinder playtest is... <laughs> yeah. Peter played a pickled pack of Playfinder playtests. <laughs> Pathfinder playtests. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, so the Pathfinder playtest obviously came out during Gen Con. Uh, we've talked a bit about it over the course of the... Um, over the course of the, the last episode? year, yeah. I oh, guess. Oh, the other year, too, yeah. Yeah, as, yeah. As they've been releasing details. Uh, uh, so now that we have everything right in front of us, I guess it's time to actually like delve into the system. Uh, there's a lot in here, so just fair warning, this is probably going to be a two-parter, um, just because yeah. there's a lot to cover. Yeah, plus there are um, patch notes coming out on tomorrow from when we're recording this podcast and hopefully when it's released, so I'm sure we'll have something to say about that next week at least. Yeah. Um, and we know some of the details of that, and so I'll, I'll try and keep us from hitting, a, if, if there are any, there's a lot of things that are just, like, minor editing errors, and I don't think we're going to focus on, on any of those things, because mm. that's, like, all just playtest stuff. Um, uh, but, yeah, where, where, where do you want to start with this? I, I think maybe we should start with, like, the central resolution mechanic, because, um, or the, 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 the proficiency, the proficiency... And the yeah, so let's uh, talk about like the big stuff, right? Like yeah. the big stuff that we've seen. Uh, so like proficiency, um, the, the central resolution mean like the four degrees of success or whatever. Uh, so uh, central or the four degrees of success, and also as it relates to the proficiency, which is your level, and the proficiency as in the U M U T E M L, the untrained, trained, expert, master, legendary. Right, right, right. Uh, stuff. Because um, I think that's a good place to start. It's a fairly uh, big departure from the, the, the ground game. Um, There's and, also a lot of debate about this stuff coming yeah. from, like, the Paizo forums. Um, I don't quite know the sides of the debate as, much, as well as you do, obviously. Uh, but I definitely do think that uh, the, the core of the proficiency system is really good, and I like it, right? Like, um, I think that just, just as an overview for people... Uh, who are uninitiated. Uh, essentially what the proficiencies have done is scooped up all of the ambient bonuses that used to be kind of independent of one another and tied into class into one specific system uh, that functions that way for basically everything, right? So in Pathfinder 1E, you used to have base attack bonus, you know, your caster level, um, your save, your like class bonuses to like save and all of that stuff, your skill ranks, all of that stuff has been scooped up into the proficiency system and the way proficiency works is there are five levels of proficiency which mango read out right untrained trained expert master legendary um and each of those uh is a relative number compared to your level right so um if you are untrained your proficiency bonus is your level minus two so if you're level 10 your proficiency is eight um, if you are trained, it equals your level, and then ma and then expert, master, legendary are plus one, plus two, and plus three, respectively. So you get a kind of nice little like spread um, to a certain extent when it comes to when it comes to proficiency. And when you level up, you're bumping most of your proficiencies by one, unless there's any kind of change to a proficiency level, like you know you have the ability to bump something from expert to master or whatever it is right 
Um, yeah. So that's the so so that's the that's the system. I like the system quite a bit. Um, I think that it flattens out the game in a way that that that's good, but still kind of keeps numbers like satisfying. Um, I think that uh, that getting like a like a bump like this on every level up is. Uh, it's just like it's like a nice way to feel the growth of your character over time. Pathfinder Fourth Edition, which I have, I've obviously talked about, how I enjoyed that system quite a bit on the podcast before, had had a system that was pretty similar to this, and I always thought that it was like a really useful way to you know um, to to set your progression throughout the game, um, and so and so yeah yeah um D it's D and D fourth, and as it contrasts to. Um, D and D five, where all that progression is very, very uh, flat. Um, like you, your proficiency goes up like once every four or five levels um, by little bits, and it keeps it keeps low level threats still threatening throughout the game, which I think is neat. Um, but basically, it comes down to a couple different side, like couple different ideas about how the game should be. And there are people who want basically to get away with the the pure leveling part. Um, you know, like the zero through twenty ed edition, um, and then the other side of that too is there are also people who want that uh, negative two, zero, one, two, three to be a little bit uh, larger and more impactful. Um, you know, maybe make it like the one I've seen the most is probably negative two, zero, two, four, six. Um, yeah, that that is my favorite. Um, I think the the numbers need to be stratified a little bit more. Um, and I don't like I don't know what it is because like. My brain kind of mathematically understands that that's not a huge difference, right? That a plus one is a 5% increase to your success rate um, just by, like, just like how, how these systems sort of work. And a plus two is just a 10% increase. But for some reason, I look at a plus two bonus and I say, wow, that's impactful. And I look at a plus one bonus and I kind of go, eh, you know. Yeah, um, no, I, I feel that. But I think I'm, I think I'm going to fall squarely into the as design camp at the moment. Um, really? Uh, yeah. So just to kind of like satisfy my own thoughts on it, I went and like made a table and like looked at kind of like what numbers you'd need to, like your percentage of success at like a task that would take uh, a five to hit, a 10 to hit, a 15 to hit, and a 20 on, the, on a die roll to hit if you were uh, trained and then like looked at the numbers as they adjusted for, for from U through L. Um, and my thoughts on this are basically that because um, I thought I was originally going to come down on the um, bound the the level proficiency more and up the uh, up the the numbers on the UTEML stuff, which I think is also a, a valid way to do it. But I realized what their design objective is, I think, and I think it's all right, which is basically that your primary sense of of growth is against yourself, right? As you level up every level, you get another plus one, and so things that you fought before are easier to fight moving forward okay what, what the UTEML stuff really does is it makes you better as compared to the rest of your party and that's not as important i think to um to stratify um and i think that's kind of the reason why i'm falling in favor of as designed because i think there's less of a need for the fighter to be you know 30 to 40 percent better than the mage um at hitting something with a sword than it is for the fighter to be 30, 40% better at hitting the goblin at level, um, like 10 than at level five, if that makes sense. 
Oh, hmm, interesting. So yeah, so I had I had a similar thought, but it was kind of tied into stuff like ability scores, right? Because people have been talking about how a, like a level ten wizard can out wrestle a level one fighter, and that to me is a very bad argument. I think that that's a poor argument in favor of kind of like this level of stratification. But I do see what you mean because a wizard is. I think a wizard is, like, untrained in, like, weapon groups and stuff like that. Right. Whereas a fighter gets very well-trained very quickly. Like, they bump up to master pretty... Um, I think by, like, level three, they're up to master in in um, their weapon proficiencies. I just so, think that's a little slower than that, but... Uh, well, I, I mean, what you know, like, whatever the case may be. Maybe it's just expert or whatever. But, like, when you stratify that more, it is, re like, it is relatively... Um, it's, it's, like, a pretty huge gap. Right, because it's not just that like you're saying, okay, well, the difference is the earlier iteration of expert is plus one, and now it's plus two, right? So that's a plus one difference, and the early iteration of master is plus two, but now it's a plus four. That's a plus two difference, right? Um, really, what you're saying is, okay, so the new iteration of master compared to the same iteration of untrained, that is a plus thirty percent success rate chance, and you are and you are kind of comparing yourselves to like other members of your party but you're also dedicating yourself into ability scores to like up your stuff right so for a wizard and for a fighter right like that fighter is probably going to have a strength of 20 or something right and so he's going to have a plus five in that so it's actually like 50 it's a it's a plus 55 percent success rate compared to the to the wizard and i think that that like when you look at it kind of from that level it is um I, it's, I, it's like very different uh, but my big thing is that I, it really comes down to how I feel like the plus one, plus two bonuses, like, feel on paper. It just doesn't feel like I'm getting a real upgrade when I get a plus one bonus um, from, a, from a proficiency. Uh, whereas I think getting a plus two is, like, big and impactful. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I know what you're saying. And a couple of things. First, I would point out that you are correct. Um, it's at level three, you get weapon mastery, which makes you master on... Weapons within a particular weapon group, simple and martial and expert in exotic weapons in that group. Um, and there's another one later down the line that makes you expert in a bunch of, or master in more things. Um, and I think it's legendary. I think I just confused the legendary versus the master. But um, to your point, I think that you are not necessarily incorrect, but I think that it's more important to like just read the math and like play with it enough until your, your your brain gets fixed essentially right yeah like i think that the if the wizard is willing to put effort into having a plus 5 strength right the fact that he's only like 5% behind the fighter or 5 to 10% behind the fighter i think is ultimately actually a good thing if you like it it doesn't it lets you build out character concepts without having to build a class to specifically do that thing. Yeah. Uh, if that makes sense, right? Like, you could make, I think, a fighting wizard, like a, a Magus-type character, relatively easily with the rules at hand without having to have a Magus class to kind of bridge that gap. And I think that that's ultimately good. Um, uh, I had another thing on this. Um, but basically, I think, I, I think that, like, you want to leave it relatively as is, and... I was originally in favor of the kind of like wizard beating level one farmhand at arm wrestling is maybe not great, but, and I don't think that like thematically that, that that's a bad argument. Like I, I think that like, you know, kind of in universe, the farmhand should beat the wizard. 
at an arm wrestling contest, but I think also ultimately that that's the type of thing that doesn't happen very often, and so it doesn't really matter if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I, I very much agree with that reading of things. Um, I, I think ultimately stratification is not going to happen um, just because the more you look into the system, it's it would it they would really have to change up a lot of stuff. Um, I think the bestiary, for instance, would have to look a lot different, right? Because um, it would be a huge buff to, uh, I mean, uh, you know, any of them, right? Like wizard um, or uh, or fighter. I also think, to a certain extent, it would maybe throw out of whack some of the interclass relationships. Um, such as, for instance, like, Barbarian uh, doesn't get that Master Level, right? But, like, when Master Level is so much better than Expert Level um, in, like, Weapon Proficiencies or, or, or whatever the case may be, right? Like, do you... I don't know that you want to open up that big of a gap between your Fighter and your Barbarian who are at... who are just going to naturally be at different Proficiency Levels. Um, my other big thing about Proficiencies is that I was... I kind of hoped i guess um and was and was looking for um uh more more choice in how the proficiencies get doled out to your character um a lot of them are just kind of assigned automatically and i'm not a huge fan of that uh where it just kind of says up oh, your level four your proficiency increases and i was kind of hoping that there would be a little bit more choice to be had um and to be honest with you a little bit more like um uh, granulation about what gets proficiencyed um in the first place like i kind of wish that attack rolls and damage rolls were separate proficiencies right so that you could hypothetically have you know like let's say a barbarian is very proficient in dealing damage with his weapon and a fighter is very proficient in being accurate with his weapon right or or maybe something like or maybe something like a ranger is very proficient with being accurate but a barbarian is very proficient with being damaging right or a barbarian is very proficient with critical hits or something kind of along those lines to um, especially with the martial classes, kind of diversify them um, and allow them to explore like that space a little bit better. Do you know what I mean? I see what you're saying. I would also point out that like you can't do actually do proficiency with critical hits because more accuracy makes you better at critical hits now, um, which is yeah, the, other, the other half of this part. Um, critical hits and critical failures are now if you are 10 above or below, respectively, um, the target number you critically hit or fail, in addition to the standard 20 and 1, so you still always have that 5% chance. Um, and I think that that's all part and parcel of this, right? Like, if you're... I think part of this is, like, if you're going against stuff that's, like, not well-matched you, you're going to be, like, trucking face relatively easily. Right. Um, which I think is good in some... I, I think it's neat. I think it lets you feel powerful against lesser enemies, um, but I also think that, like, it's going to mean that it's, it's I don't know if it's harder, because it's about the same, I guess, as it was before, um, to crit against things at, at your level, basically. Mm -hmm. I think um, not having to confirm crits is also a pretty yeah. big, uh, difference. And there's also the critical specializations, um, which is, like, special item, uh, sort of specific rule set that, that factors into critical hits. Yeah. Um, uh. I, th I think kind of to your earlier point about the proficiencies thing, um, I think this, this might lead into a, a large discussion, but I think that's fine. Um, something that, um, this might be just like a, a, a symptom of it being the playtest, but uh, some of the 
let's say, more core or maybe more valid types of class fantasies are hard to achieve with the current rule set. And that's another thing that's creating a stir on the message board. I actually haven't heard about that. So, basically, some things like Strength Rogue, Two-Weapon Fighter Rogue, um, Archer, Paladin, or, like, Light, Medium Armor, Paladin, or Fighter are basically unsupported, like, not well-supported themes um, that are that are currently available. Um, I've heard a lot of back and forth. I, I would like to, to point out that, that some of it, ha- I think, is um, pretty fair, which is, like, not all class fantasies are created equal, right? Like Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel that, like, for instance, I think two, um, two-weapon fighting rogue is a class fantasy that absolutely should be supported, whereas strength rogue, and especially, I've actually, I have always hated Archer Paladin. Have I ever said this on the podcast before? I think Archer Paladin is straight up bad. Oh, I, 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 I disagree entirely, especially really when you have, it. like, a Rastal as a, like, core god um, whose favorite weapon is a bow. Um, but I, I understand that um, that perspective, and, like, we can, like, I think there are ones that we could agree on, like, you know, like, I don't think it's core to have a sorcerer that wears heavy armor and uses a two-handed weapon and can cast spells very easily. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, um, but something that somebody pointed out was that some of these options are usable, it's just that they have dead class features and so people don't want to take them. But I think that that's not great design. Like, so, so, this comes up, I think, most significantly with um, the lighter armor options on, say, Fighter or Paladin, in that they get increased proficiency with heavy armor and heavy armor only. Um, okay. And so if you don't, if you don't play a heavy armor, um, a heavy armor Fighter or Paladin, that's basically a dead class feature, if that makes sense. Okay. I, I guess I get that. I'm always unsympathetic, let's say, to those sorts of arguments just because I think that's an argument from optimization. Um, like, I, I, I... To a certain extent, I don't think every class feature has to be insanely relevant to you. That's... That, you like, that doesn't have to be the case. And saying something... Like, and not every build has to be, like, optimal, if that makes sense, right? And to a certain extent, you should be willing to accept, like, okay, I'm going to play a light armor paladin because I want to go for whatever I want to go for, right, which means that my heavy armor proficiency is just kind of, like, sitting there dead, that's, that's like, that's fine, that's part of I'm going to hard disagree with you. Like, that, I'm just, like, a super hard disagree. It's not, it hasn't been part of the game for years. I think that's the problem. Um, like, like, PF1 built options for everything so that you never had to have a dead class feature. And I, I'm with you insofar as that every class feature doesn't have to be super, super tight and super relevant to what you're doing. But I do think that, like, having an absolutely dead class feature is bad design. Um, and if that means that, like, Fighter is only supposed to wear heavy armor, I think that's also maybe a valid conclusion. Boy, but I, would... I mean, I think there are so many class features that are naturally dead class features. Like what? Right? How often does, like, trackless step come up for a ranger, right? Like, basically never. Do you know what I mean? There's a lot of class features that are like that, right? Even class features that people think are, like, cool and interesting but just end up never getting used right like i think that that's a really common thing even in one like maybe with the maybe with the armor i definitely understand right like because the way armor used to work does not match the way that armor works here but i think pathfinder first edition is full of dead class features 
I don't think it's that. I think I think you've pointed out an exception rather than the rule. And also, I would point. I mean, out no, the, I definitely agree that it's not the rule, right? But I just think that there are a lot of them, right? I don't. I, I don't think there are. A lot. I think there's like a few of them, maybe. Um, and I think that that we this edition has ultimately moved from getting rid of a lot of those things. I mean, so by that argument, okay, so by that argument, right? Like, at what point is it a dead class feature to have weapon proficiencies that like you're not using? Do you know what I mean? Like, um, if I'm a fighter and I have proficiency with a bow, but I'm using a greatsword, is that a dead class feature? Because I never use a bow? Like, I, don't, I just, like, that argument doesn't really track for me. So, I think the difference is, is that the thing that you are using, you have the option to make the best out of, right? Like, it's not, it, it just, if, uh, if you could only take advanced master proficiency with bows or with, with swords on the fighter, right? Or melee weapons to make it a little bit more general, I still, I think that would also not be great. Um, I think that this is also kind of like, I think that there's, I think there's a fundamental problem too with, um, like, I think it's part of this is specific to armor too. Um, cause I think that like, they always want to present it as light, medium, heavy being a set of trade-offs, but they're also stacked with heavier armor being like a greater feat investment. Um, and I don't think proficiency is too dead of a class feature to matter um, because I think that they design around that not being the case. But I think, like, like the general, like, train proficiency, not, um, not like, uh, UTEML proficiency. Right. But I think having your, uh, ha having any one of them specifically trained, like, um, having any one of them specifically selected against, I think is not great. I also don't think it's, like, a huge deal. I think you could just give them, like, advanced proficiency in all armor classes, and it wouldn't be a problem. Um, I actually kind of don't like that, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I also prefer kind of a different version of armor than is necessarily on the table, wherein where there is those kinds of trade-offs, right? Where, like, you have light, medium, and heavy, and they are different kind of packages that are more or less equivalent right so like a rogue will take light armor because they want to keep their acp low or whatever but a paladin doesn't give a fuck and just wants to like like up his ac bonus but those things are kind of internally consistent to be about balanced right and that's not quite what we have because they've kind of stuck to the way that it's written in in pathfinder where like you get Light armor is just kind of in the middle of a scale, and then heavy armor, you get bigger benefits, but also bigger penalties, which I think is kind of, like, weird and shitty um, feeling in a, in a lot of ways. I, 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 I'm sorry, I, I don't see how that's... I don't see how what you described as your ideal system is significantly different than what you just listed out as being the case. Uh, so, I think that... So, for instance, I think that light armor should be a an equivalent choice as heavy armor. Essentially what I'm sure. saying is like, I shouldn't have to go through light armor and medium armor proficiencies in order to get heavy armor proficiency. And I don't think proficiencies should backfill, right? Like if you are a paladin, yeah, a heavy armor proficiency is different than a light armor proficiency and you don't necessarily get light, medium, and heavy and you backfill medium and light because there's this kind of weird implication that they are less 
Do you know what I mean? That they are yeah, lesser no. armors than heavy armor, and that heavy armor is the most desirable and attainable set of armor. That just none of that stuff has ever worked for me, and it and it kind of continues to not work for me in in the Pathfinder playtest because they've stuck a little too close to these like three five roots or whatever. Sure, but a version I mean, of things where heavy armor is like a is like a, a is a, is a set of armor that is equivalent to light armor and kind of its own separate category. Right, like that feels fine to me. See, you know I, I mean? I'm th that's basically what I what I said to, to lead this off, but like I think that they do present them as being interchangeable options, right? Like I don't think heavy armor is mechanically better than light armor um on balance, right? Because of the because of the penalties inherent in heavy armor. And I think it's I I I agree with you that I think it's bad and weird that heavy armor proficiency implies medium and light armor proficiency. Um but I do think that they have tried to make them all like like the, each selection a balancing point see oh see i just don't agree with that because of the way that it's set up because light armor has basically no penalties but basically no bonuses right medium armor has medium penalties and medium bonuses and heavy armor has heavy penalties and heavy bonuses right which is such a weird way to structure it right i think I, they I should all have be benefits and trade-offs that are structured in a different way like for instance light armor has penalties or something to you know ac or whatever right but you get a ben but you but you get like a positive benefit to speed or to acp or something do you know what i mean like something kind of like more more along those lines because i think light armor being just neutral is bad versus I, I, heavy armor being what I it mean, is literally all you've done is, is you've like shifted the scale i don't, I don't think that's valid right because like if light armor gives you a bonus to speed and a bonus to acp all you have to do is like subtract two from every number that's currently in the book and then adjust base armor values by two and you literally get that system. I think I like you're, you're literally just shifting shifting the math by by two or whatever. Right? Like you, you see what I'm saying? If if light armor penalizes your AC, right. That's just like it is now except you just have a higher base AC. Um and that where medium is because at zero. Of the, because of the opportunity cost you mean? Like, like, that's the trade-in when you go into light armor. You know that you're getting an opportunity cost loss compared to heavy armor because you're only going to get plus two instead of plus six? Yeah. Okay. Basically. Yeah, I, I'm not... I mean, I don't know that... I don't like that argument so much just because I think it doesn't quite read that way. I don't know. Like, I, like this has always been the case for me when it comes to armor. And I think it's the case for a lot of players, right? Where a mithril breastplate is a lot more desirable than full plate is. Because it gets rid of the penalties and gets close enough to the bonuses you want. And I think that that's like, that, that's kind of the core of why people don't invest in heavy armor all that often. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I, I don't think, I don't think your proposed solution changes that at all. Um, it, it's like people will want Mithril Blessplate for the exact same reasons that they want it now. Um, again, it, it just shifts the numbers. I, mean, I, I see, I see your point i guess i just don't think that like, i mean i, I really don't i don't think problem. so i don't think op it, it, it's they're not equivalent because light armor is saying you're getting penalized in opportunity costs where heavy armor is saying you're getting penalized in very real terms and i think those are not the same those are not equivalent right that light armor should penalize you in real terms in the same way that heavy armor penalizes you in real terms and medium armor for that matter Okay, right. so, so I I I, th I think the disconnect we have here is where I'm really separating out kind of like the proficiency 
uh, thing from kind of like the num from like the the math numbers, um, in terms of like where you want to put things. But I I I I think we're just talking about slightly different points, and I, I think I think that's. Yeah, Fine. I mean, I the, really, the, I am okay with paladins only getting heavy armor proficiency, where heavy armor, light armor, and medium armor are all equivalent kind of choices in, in for like character directions. But I don't think that's the case right now, just because of the way that they're set up with this kind of like expanding penalty and benefit um, sort of like roster that just doesn't really like track to me. And I think it's probably like the root cause of a lot of the. Um, I like. I would bet it's like the root cause of a lot of this controversy that apparently exists, right? Because I do think people have. I think people want to play a paladin, but they look at heavy armor and they're like, "What the fuck? Splint mail is going to penalize my speed by ten feet? I'm only I'm only going to be moving, you know, three squares in a stride. That sucks, right?" Um, and I. And so they say, well, now I want to, so I want to bump down to medium armor because it doesn't penalize me as hard or whatever, right? And at the end of the day, the difference between breastplate and half plate is not big enough that I'm going to, like, care too much. And that's, like, I don't know. That's it. I, I, I think the, the problem that people have, at least on the boards, is much more that you have a, you have a dead class feature um, that, like, it specifically favors one mode of play against the one that you would like to engage in. I think that that's really the, the the kind of fundamental problem there, um, but uh, I I think on the flip side of that coin, um, on on the other side of dead class features is kind of like missing features, um, uh, and just to kind of pro provide the argument there, this is I think more of your um, two weapon fighter rogue, strength rogue um, type arguments, which is like there's nothing explicitly against. Uh, those types of things in the class, but there's no real support for it. So picking the kind of more on, on vision, uh, uh, or, or on classical archetype, uh, vision is, 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 is encouraged and better because like, there's just no support for anything else, right? Like there's no two weapon slice. There's two weapon slice for the ranger and the fighter, but not for the rogue, I think. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's not great. Um, and so having those options available for the rogue um, would be would be it would be good to support those kinds of archetypes. Um, I think this leads to a, a kind of a deeper question, um, as someone also pointed out, which is that like a lot of kind of like general general feats that everybody could take have kind of been siphoned off into the classes and restricted, and um, whether or not that's a good or a bad thing. And I'm leaning towards I want a little bit more flexibility than is currently present. Um, what what do you think? Um, so, I am I'm a little hesitant. Um, I like that there are certain feats that you know, like the stride and strike, whatever. The sudden charge is in barbarian and fighter, but it's not in ranger, right? Uh, but it is in paladin, right? Like I actually like divvying them up in classes, class feats more often. And I kind of wonder if I should give Paizo a pass just because there's not an infinite amount of space. But I do wish that there was a little more cross pollination, right? Like, yeah, I absolutely think that rogues should get double slice, and it is really weird to me that they don't. Um, and uh, and I think that there are other kind of instances of uh, class feats, especially among the martial characters, um, that don't get shared, which makes me uh, like like for instance, even like um, you know the fighter has six feats: one, two, three, four, five, six, right? Seven actually at level one, um, and then uh and then also like like feats that are coming in at level two four and stuff like that so they have like a lot of stuff to sort of like 
pick from. Uh, and I think that more of that stuff could be in other classes, right? Like, it's weird to me that attacks of opportunity aren't uh, aren't a, a first-level feat for the majority of the martial classes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, so I, could, I think I can speak to the attack of opportunity thing in particular. I think your point in general is valid, but I they have said that they think that attacks of opportunity kind of, like, gum up the game a little too much, and so they wanted to severely restrict it as kind of like a from a design point. No, I definitely agree with that. And I, and I think that that is so like locking it behind a feat I think is still very like sort of restrictive. And now that there's no combat reflexes, it makes sense to me that like yeah, man, if I'm a ranger and I'm choosing between double slice and attack of opportunity, double slice is really competitive with it, with attacks of opportunity. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I I think I think there's maybe an issue there where like I so I think the biggest single biggest issue with that is that there aren't a lot of reactions, and so reactions yeah. are more valuable just because there's not a lot of other options crowding out the space there. Yeah, but I, I think mean, that can come with more options. There are definitely some reactions that I think are cool or neat. Um, I like the barbarian reaction to chase somebody down. I think it's called no escape. Yeah. Um, and I like the paladin one where, like, if one of your allies gets hit by somebody you get essentially an attack of opportunity on them. And I think that those sorts of reactions, there should actually be a bigger kind of, um, uh, not window, but, you know, I, I think that there should be a bigger space for more reactions that allow you to, I like the, the current attack of opportunity only triggers on a couple of certain instances, right? Like when you interact with an object, so that you're reloading a crossbow, making a ranged attack and then moving through someone's space. But I think that there's space for like, you know, a reaction that's like every, you know, every time you get hit or something like that, you, you can choose to make your one reaction an attack back. Do you know what I mean? I think for like a might tank be. or something. I think one of them has that like, come and get like they think there's either a barbarian or for fighter one that 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 kind of skims that idea but i think that's you know your point it holds true then right like yeah, that's yeah. like a neat space to explore yeah um, and i and i feel like they haven't re they haven't explored that quite as much um, um i think part of that though can be can be chalked up to only so many pages in the playtest. yeah yeah uh, definitely definitely um um kind of along that line something that i am a little bit concerned about is um i think that each so so let me is, let me give you this from the top down right um in pf1 essentially every other level you got either a class feature and then every other other level you got a a, a feat um and the feats were roughly divided into I, i'm gonna say three categories one is like combat options two is lean harder into your class and three is be more skillful um and pf2 has as so far um kind of pushed things in pushed almost all of those general feet things into skill feats which are one third of that is be more skillful right um, and i think as a result it feels like you are you have less opportunity to build out your class i felt this particularly when i was building out my my, my punch wizard as i call him um, and, like, the opportunity cost of multiclassing into fighter and taking fighter feats felt like it took a lot away from being, like, being a wizard. Uh, we've talked a little bit about this a little bit offline. And I think, so, I think one of the beauties of this system is that the feats, none of them, like, really stack power on top of each other, right? It's a lot of different options. So you have more tools in your toolbox rather than, like, better tools. And so I actually, I think it is very possible and i would favor like 
Like, I think if you got a class feed at every level, you wouldn't actually change the power balance so much because you would just have a few more options under your belt. And I think that it would let you do something like more wholly embrace your um, your class um, and then allow you to, like, um, the way I put this in, in our previous discussion, I'll, I'll put it out here again too, is that um, if you have, like, the ability to do two or three things from your own class, um, if you're a full classer, and if you want a multi-class, you get like one or two things from your own class, then one thing from the multi-class, and that would feel a little bit better than I'm perceiving it as now, especially because yeah. the multi-class stuff is at like half power. Yeah, I mean, I think multi. I mean, I think multi-class from first edition does deserve um, the retooling. I guess I should yeah, say no, absolutely. that it got because I don't think multi-classing in first edition is very good. Um, but I am not super satisfied with these rules. Um, I'm also not super satisfied with these archetype rules. Um, like I didn't quite like the, what I saw of this cavalier sort of thing. And I almost kind of like wonder how much support that's going to end up getting in the future. Like I kind of feel as though maybe they are just going to have 12 classes, right? And at what point do you just say, you know what, we're going to add a bunch of feats to, you know, like in a source book, right? We're going to have, or like a splat book or something like that. We're going to have cavalier feats. Right? right, but we're going to add them to paladin and to fighter, and you know maybe to ranger or something. So that if you want to play a, a cavalier, right, you got to take these certain feats in this kind of umbrella class. Um, and I think that that might be sort of better than what what these archetypes are. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm just like I, I haven't seen one that I'm I'm sold interested on. in. Yeah, like I'm I'm really sold on, um, but. It yeah, I, I think to kind of, like, go back to my earlier point, you can kind of ameliorate that a little bit by if you have more class feats to choose from on your way up, it feels less weird to swap some out. Um, I also think part of this is I have never quite been sold on the archetypes or class agnostic thing that they did in Starfinder and they're doing here. I actually... I don't think I'm a fan. I, I'm, I haven't been convinced of it from the Starfinder archetypes, although we haven't gotten a ton of them because... Um, you know, this is a more criticism of Starfinder than anything, but I think the support there's kind of been anemic. Um, but uh, I am also not convinced here in this playtest that making them that putting like making them agnostic is a good choice because I think it makes things like just a little too hard to to balance across everything. And maybe also part of this is me not being like the things that they have chosen to lock into the classes as like core features rather than feats. Right. I think in some places places are odd, and it's weird to me that those kind of by implication are not going to be swap swappable by feats, right? Like, like an archetype in PF one, an archetype for a light armor fighter would easily be handled by just swapping out some of those proficiencies, right, and some of those armor features. Um, here, as written and as presented, you actually can't swap out that heavy armor mastery because it's not a feat it's a core feature and so there's there's no way mechanically at the moment to swap those out yeah um and i think that that's not great like i i'm a little bit on board with everything's feats um but i'm less on board with um i i, I just think that archetypes as a whole need a little bit of a retooling and feel free to comment on any of that particularly i'm interested in your thoughts on whether or not um, agnostic archetypes are a good idea. No, th this that is exactly my point. This is why I feel like I would prefer it where um, Cavalier is like a sub-archetype takeable through feet paths sort of thing, or like sort of quote-unquote feet trees, though I wouldn't want to use that specifically, um, in, uh, in Paladin, Fighter, and Ranger. Um, 
Because I don't think that, like, I, I, I just don't think that agnostic uh, archetypes are something that are going to be easy to balance, easy to QA. Um, I think it just gums up the works on how you get to make kind of choices about your character. And I feel like it's just a lot easier. I mean, we already have feats that are bled across classes, like double slice and stuff like that already. Um, and it feels to me like that's just the proper thing to do, right? You give an option to fighters to challenge right or i mean to 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 whatever sort of subset right like maybe you make a swashbuckler archetype that fight that's fighter you know and rogue and i don't know alchemist who knows right like or something kind of like along those lines um or like any of the other kind of um dual classes that we've got over oh, that, that we've that we've gotten over time right you can kind of just inject certain point feet like point blank feats in there to make that stuff work. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I see what you're saying. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that, like, this is not to say that I don't think that the agnostic archetypes can't work for some concepts, right? Like, I think the pirate archetype is is actually pretty good as an agnostic set, right? Like, it's kind of what you want out of that. Yeah. Um, maybe, like, maybe you want to throw in, like, a, another feat in there that gives, like, a, an option that's more appealing to casters um, instead of, like, I think there's, like, a, a boarding maneuver. Um and I think if, like, like I also am not opposed to, like, a thing where, like, the archetype's just kind of, like, a, a, a kind of heading, and you throw in, like, a bunch of options so that they are, like, I think, sorry, to, to take this from kind of the top, you can make agnostic archetypes, so long as under that umbrella there are specialized options within that archetype that not everybody has to take, right? right. Like, like, the pirate, for example, has, like, the martial options, but also has a couple of, like, sea caster options or something, um, that make it uh, uh, kind of appealing to all classes, or generally relevant to all classes, um, at least to the point where like you don't feel like you're locked out of choices by the dedication rules, which don't let you just kind of pick and choose little pieces. Um, yeah, I mean, I think those those dedication rules are also a big piece of it, right? Because you have to, you know, like when you opt into an archetype, you have to spend whatever the allotted class feats on the archetype feats right and um, i think that that's part of what's bad um so i would point out that you don't have to as long as you don't want to take another archetype which i think um on like i think for most cases that's actually like a, a good a good balancing factor is that like most people like it doesn't matter that you have to take three pirate feats because most people won't bother taking a second archetype anyway um but uh I, I, I think I agree with you that it that it um that it guys kinda hurts the design overall. Yeah. Um especially Yeah, I'm really surprised that they didn't just fold this in. I felt like that would have been uh a lot easier. The pirate one I definitely agree with you actually. I, I, like now that I'm just looking at it. Um, the pirate one, like, I feel like basically what they did there is they were like, listen, we have a bunch of archetypes that we already put out that are basically, this is how you turn any of our classes into a pirate class, right? Where you get right. sea legs and, and stuff like that or whatever. And I think that that's a very good use for a class agnostic archetype. I actually really agree with you there. Um, um, I, I also think these are neat for, like, like homebrewy stuff, right? Like, I think if you're, if you're playing in, like, a piratey campaign and you want to give a player, like, a bonus in the form of, like, a couple of feats from the pirate archetype. Oh, I yeah, that, yeah, yeah, like, on top of it, that makes yeah, a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, th I think that that can work all right. 
Yeah, um, it's funny. I'm actually trying really hard um, not to. Uh, I'm trying really hard not to think in those kinds of terms because yeah, no, I want to engage right. with the play test inside of like inside of the lines. Um, but it is always really tempting to color outside of the lines. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think mean, on this stuff, I, I generally agree with you, but I think that there is value in kind of pointing out those kind of benefits as like like you know like a half point or something like that. Um, like maybe something that never, that never should like sway the argument, but a thing to kind of point out as a tool in your tool belt, especially when the, the thing goes live, right? Cause like, you know, once the, once, once the thing goes live next year, assuming they keep the schedule, um, everybody's going to be putting their tinkers on it. I'm sure, I'm sure that, um, for instance, bound pathfinder, which would be like, um, the same system, but without like the bi-level proficiency bonus will be a thing that people try out almost immediately. Um, to kind of keep the game more flat, um, a little bit more like 5e, and I think that'll be interesting to see people's people's uh, experiments out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Honestly, I'm kind of... I am kind of excited for... Like, the playtest technically only lasts till December. Um, and oh, really? I, yeah. Um, because I guess they have to take the feedback from the first six months and have six months to incorporate it. Um, right, that makes but sense. I feel in, like, those second six months, it'll be interesting to see people who... Like, maybe, like, you know, like you and me, who are trying to keep to the rules of the playtest um, to provide the best feedback possible, go lax on that because they don't have to anymore and see if, like, if those, like, those numbers bear out any kind of a kind of interest or whatever. Um, like, in, in, in listening to this, have you heard of E6? No. Uh, so it's it's a variant rule set for 3-5 where... You stop advancing at level six, and every experience, every so much experience, you get like bonus feats. I'm not super sure on it, but it's basically trying to like lock the game in at that kind of sweet spot where you're not too powerful. Um, with I think the big one being that level four spells are where the game really starts to break. Um, and so I think it'd be like somebody presented Bound Pathfinder is kind of like the E6 of Pathfinder Second Edition. It'll be interesting to see how those things play out. Um, Although I do agree with you that for the purposes of the next six months, sticking to the rules is, is probably the best thing we can do to make sure that uh, to make sure that the, the game comes out as, as good as it can be. Um, uh, kind of on that note, I'm very happy to see that there are patch notes coming out on Monday. Um, just that the that they're that they're really willing to iterate and move forward. Um, uh, if we can get these at, at like any level of frequency, that would be great for kind of um, getting our uh, you know shaping the game as it were right yeah yeah um there's always kind of the danger like i kind of expected to be six months of play tests and then they take the feedback and try and formulate something out of that um and that that always runs the risk of the next iteration also being bad but in a different way mm-hmm. um uh, i was actually talking briefly to mark about this the other day it's like um not that i think it's feasible but it'd be interesting to see a live rpg that kind of does like lol style patch notes um uh but uh, I, I you know practical... Ooh, that would be in... you you wouldn't be you wouldn't you couldn't do books with that you yeah. have to do it online yeah and um... I think I think there's also other problems with that right like um or just kind of like adhere to the format right like patch like patches in video games work because everybody's kind of forced to play on the patch whereas like I'm sure that unpopular patches would just be unused for a tabletop game in that kind of setting yeah um, you also don't have as easy an ability to swap right in in lol right like if they nerf yasuo i can become a twisted fate main or whatever right whereas in something like pathfinder if they nerf 
um, my, you know, ranger build or whatever. It's not like I can just, like, freely re-roll or something. Um, yeah. Mid, and I think that's uh, mid campaign. Super, yeah. yeah, exactly. I think that that's not super great. Though, actually, now that I put that in perspective, kind of I can. In the sense of, um, like, World of Warcraft does that, right? So, like, so, I, I'm locked into my class in my main and, like, wow, or whatever. And so maybe if they're just good at, you know, um, maybe if they're just good at being fair in their balancing, it wouldn't be that bad. I, I also think that there's kind of uh, a bit of a difference with WoW characters. I, I think, the, I think the, the, the kind of through line is just a little bit different. Um, have a little bit of trouble, like, kind of elucidating on that. Um, in words, but I, I see your point. I think it's doable. I just think that it's there be dragons kind of yeah thing, um, especially kind of like like because a lot of math is manually done. Um, like having to rejigger all of that every time there's patch notes would be uh, a pain in the ass, um, to to put it lightly. Um, although um, I think it would be a neat idea for um, basically basically I think that there's a space for a a um, online RPG system that takes full advantage of the technology and is really kind of like def- like kind of like a, the child of its video game and uh, and pen and paper parents um, uh, and I think yeah, that could work there but that that's a topic for a different time yeah um, how do you feel about like the feat differentiation between um, the different kinds of feats that you can get because we talked about this a little bit where uh, skill feats and class feats and ancestry feats, don't feel equivalent yeah. in a way that it, that is a little bit weird. Yeah, so um, it's kind of the sliding scale. I'll go from, like, bottom to top. Um, I think that general feats I am are, are bad. Like, I, I don't think that any of them are, are good, but you don't get a ton of them, so maybe that's not a problem. I am severely underwhelmed by skill feats. I think there are a couple of standout options that are really cool, but I think a lot of them are kind of whatever. Um mm-hmm. I think that class feats in general are uh, are 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 pretty good, right? Like I, you know, notwithstanding my, my previous points about maybe needing uh, more of them, but I think like as they're built, I think they're they're cool options, and I like them. Um, ancestry feats are probably the weirdest one for me, and that like I think that there should be more rolled into the base right base ancestry rather. Oh really? Uh, um, like I think that like too much of what fundamentally makes. A, a an ancestry and ancestry was taken out of them. Not that I think that some of those things shouldn't be feats, um, but I think that basically right now it's just like your vision and like the language you speak is all you get as your base ancestry package. I think it needs a little bit more in there to, to feel. I mean, right. you also get speed and you get um, like the like the dwarves have that thing about like armor or whatever. Sure, yeah, I guess that's fair. Um, I. I still, like, honestly, I think part of the thing there is I think dwarves are the best... Dwarves are the best fleshed-out race in the package, um, especially because they've got a neat feat with that boulder step or whatever. Um, okay, actually, now that I look at it, dwarves are the only ones that get a different... that get a special... So, unburdened, which is if your yeah. armor would be reduced, uh, you ignore five feet of that reduction. They are the only ones that get something like that. Like elves and and gnomes and goblins and everything, um, are uh, 
don't 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 get anything kind of along that line. So I actually I, I think I do agree with you. Yeah, I, I I think that the support there is a little um, like the support for the actual feats is a little anemic. Um, uh. Again, that might be like playtests can only have so many pages type things. Um, but I would want a little more in by default. Yeah. Um, just to kind of flesh out the 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 ancestry a little bit more. But I, I think it's a cool idea. Um. The only thing that concerns me about it is I think they might have, um, you know, old old Pathfinder was everybody picks you because that bonus feed is too powerful. Mm-hmm. I think um, with a human, uh, you get a bonus level one class feat might also be a little too powerful um, and might end up making that um, uh, oh, the default. Um, especially... Um, I think that the half-orc and half-elf as feats, as ancestry feats, I think are neat ideas, but I think they also lose out to get a bonus level one class feat every time, and I think that that's a problem, maybe? Uh, what do you think? I am. I have always been in defense of humans in Pathfinder, because I actually kind of think it's okay for there to be essentially like a default race that is defined by its flexibility. Um like I I don't think that humans are the best race because they are more powerful than the other races. I think they're the best race because they are more flexible, quote unquote. Um but I think that it also makes for um I don't know, that make makes the game like it just makes sense to me. Maybe it's just because I've been immersed in it for 20 years. Um but uh I definitely see the concern. The tough thing is that it's just tough to give humans anything specific because they are, like, these generalists or whatever. And I almost sort of think that they would need to rebuild humans to a certain extent to give them a better, um, I don't know, to give them, like, a better sort of uh, baseline, I guess, like, identity than what they have um, in order to, like, in order to kind of get there. Uh, frankly, I, I think that some I think that some things uh, that other races get are just really good. I mean, just like uh, like elves starting with an extra five feet of mobility is huge. I think the feat ancestral longevity, um, which allows you to uh, like when you rest, you can choose a skill to become trained in, right? But like you can switch that around. Like that is like shit. Like that's really good. And I think that. Um, uh, the the biggest uh, like the biggest uptick with ancestries has just been that the different ancestries don't have as many dead bullshit stuff that never gets used anymore. Do you know what I mean? In like Pathfinder One E, that class feat is good because it is always usable, right? Or like that first level human feat is good because yeah. it's kind of like always usable and it's always applicable. Whereas with like elves or whatever, it's like, whoa, I get a plus two against enchantment effects. No way. And people forget that shit all the time. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I so having, saying. and having this stuff be like a little bit more like feet aligned, um, so that you look at elf and you go, holy shit, ancestral longevity is great. Or you look at gnome and you say, wow, I actually think that first world magic is pretty useful. Um, that seems, that seems pretty good. Uh, that seems pretty good to me. But I will say that I definitely agree with you that I think every race should have kind of one default feat in the same way that dwarves have unburdened. Um, just because I was planning on playing a dwarf in the playtest, so I knew about unburdened, but I hadn't really looked so, so deeply at the other ones. Um, I sort of wish dwarves uh, shared 
or I'm sorry, the other the other races sort of shared and like had just one of these baseline things that made them kind of unique and special. Which, by the way, kind of includes humans. Um, I think that some you know that something like the um, what's the the one where you're humans and you just end up getting uh, an extra plus one and stuff you're untrained in. Like that's pretty good. Like clever improviser. Yeah. Like, yeah. like if you were to bump clever improviser and say every inf- every human gets clever improviser. That would be fine with me. Um, yeah, I, I I think I feel that. Um, so. I will say that I think human, or I'm sorry, half-elf and half-orc ancestry feats are, uh, well, so half-elf literally only has two, which I think is bad. Um, but well, ha- half-elf also has access to the elf ones, which I think is supposed to be part of that, um, part of that calculus. Oh, right. That makes sense. Okay, that's not quite as bad as I thought. Um but uh, I like the, the half ancestries. I think that's a good way to do it, right? Um, you kind of split the difference and, and fold them in. I like ancestries a lot in general, um, specifically because I like the ability to kind of mix and match. Like, even if I am a human, but I'm from dwarven territory or something, like, I can get special approval from my GM to get, like, dwarven weapon familiarity because I was yeah. raised by dwarves or something, right? There or, is... like, if half of your campaign takes place in a halfling caravan, right, maybe you get a bonus feat that's, like, unfettered or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, there, there's actually a general feat called Adopted Ancestry that lets you yeah. pick, I, I think, uh, and that's good because there's not a lot of great stuff to pick in the general feat section. Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely. I definitely feel that. Uh, I think the biggest problem with that is that... Um, in a, in a certain sense, I almost think general feats shouldn't exist because, to me, skill feats are balanced among themselves, right? Yeah. Like, I feel like skill feats among themselves are pretty, you know, flat. And then uh, class feats and ancestry feats, I also think of that or whatever. But I can't help but look at a general feat and be like, why would I take anything but a class feat? Because class feats are so good. I don't and skill think... feats and ancestry feats are worse. I don't think ancestry could... feats, not by much. I don't think you could take class feats with a general feat. Wait, really? I, I might be wrong about that, but I thought that you could only take general feats with the general feat. Like that that includes um that includes uh uh skill feats, but I think that might be it. Let me let me let me double check that, see if I can uh. uh that would uh, maybe maybe that makes that's I may have just been misreading uh that then. It's also possible that I was uh Yeah, general feats um in so I just say, yeah, like general, chapter five. Yeah, general feats and skill feats. Yeah, I think. Interesting. Yeah. Um, that actually kind of makes some sense, which makes this suck, which is so lame. <laughs> because I, well, because I like the idea that you get kind of like a free feat to kind of invest wherever, right? Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, but, uh, and I, but I, but yeah, I think a lot of the general feats suck and I bet it's because the skill feats also suck. Yeah. Um. I, I think I think like I said I think that there are some standout skill feats right like battle medic really cool and it only requires trained um, yeah yeah battle medic is pretty um, neat a battle cry um, which is an intimidate feat also looks really cool that requires master intimidation um, I think actually I'm gonna say this before I forget it I think the single biggest problem with the skill feats um, or with with the skill system in general is there's no way right now to get a signature skill of your choice I think that should just be a skill feat. Right? No, like, I, I agree with you, yeah, that you should be able to up one of your trained skills to a signature skill. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm a little interested as to why they didn't do that. Like, I wonder if they're protecting against something that we're not seeing. Yeah. Because it seems so obvious. Um, but, you know, hey, who knows? Um, I like uh, I like some of the skill feats. Um, 
and the way that they've redone skills with kind of the proficiency levels. Um, because it makes a lot of sense to me that, like, you know, an acrobat, like, okay, Kip Up is a master in acrobatics skill feat, right? That makes a lot of sense to yeah. me, and I think that that's, like, cool. And locking some of these feat requirements just by expert and master um, is, you know, I'm pretty okay with that. Yeah, so Something that feels a little weird to me is I, I think I'm on board with the idea that all of the all the combat maneuvers are actually athletics checks now. Um, but there's no feats that make you, like, that give you any, like, specialization in any of them. Um, which seems a little bit weird to me. It feels like it's, it's missing. I, I am I am mixed a little bit. I feel like that makes athletics too good, just, like, on its face. Um, so, to have them be, so, so like, the combat maneuvers and stuff. I, I get that. And I don't want them to make you better at it. I just want them to, like... Like, open up an option. Like, in the same way that, like, Battlecry lets you use Intimidation for free at the beginning. Like, something like that. That wouldn't necessarily make it um, too catch-all, right? Like, but uh, I, I think the ability to kind of, like, be a little bit better at some things would be neat. Um, like, kind of in a very microcosm of this is... Uh, disarm is a trained use of athletics. Um, and you don't disarm someone on a success. You make it... You make, uh, you make all the other disarm attempts against them... Uh, at a plus two for until the start of their turn, which is interesting. Uh, and the critical success is what disarms them. Um, but I, f I feel like maybe the math is a little bit off on that. Um, like I understand that disarming someone's like an incredibly powerful thing that like maybe that there's a reason that they're doing that, but if, 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 if it feels weird um, in there. Um, I'm not so sure I'm a fan of, of the current disarm rules. Um, and I, I would think that something like a skill feat in there would make, maybe make that a little bit easier or better right like you're just like that plus two lasts at the beginning of your next turn until the start of the creature's turn um i think something like that would be a good good place for a feat like that um but you know that's <sighs> yeah i i really just hope that they they, they kind of up kind of the the neatness on 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 the skill feats um something else that's weird is, is there's a lot of there's a lot of uh jargon in all of this stuff that like more so than money, that's that's a little throwing me for a loop, right? Like, the one that gets used, once you get used to ton, like, bolstered, like, have made it, like, into my mind space. But, like, um, when we tried our experiment at Gen Con to try and play something, I actually read the powerful jump um, feat wrong. Because it doesn't actually make your jumps better. It makes your leaps better. And leap is a standard action that anybody can take to jump a short distance. Um, which is different than a high jump or a, or a, a long jump. Um... And I think that kind of jargonization is, well, I understand why it's there. I think it's maybe not the greatest, at least in, in some of these cases where the, where the names are a little bit too synonymy, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I, I that, that stuff I hope will come with time. Yeah. Um, there, cause there's other pieces of it that make a lot of sense to me, right? You know, obviously stride and strike. Right, it's very easy to adopt those, uh, but others I am a little bit like, wait, what is that again? Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I like. I also like that it's kind of cutesy that like stride, strip, stride, step, and strike and stand are all like S's. Yeah. Um, but I think that I think that step should be called a five foot step, because I'm sure that like trying to explain to someone new the difference between a step and a stride is going to be like a thing that's like, confusing. Whereas I think. Calling it a five-foot step in Pathfinder made it very, very clear exactly what it was. Because, you know, it's, it's exactly what it says on the tin. 
um, you know, notwithstanding cases where your five foot step actually goes ten feet or whatever. Um, but I think that those those exceptions are easier to deal with than kind of um, mucking about with, uh, with with that stuff. Like I don't know, I, I'm just in, in favor of a little bit more different names, a little that are a little bit less cutesy. I guess is the way to put it. But you know, may, maybe I just don't appreciate aesthetics enough or, or whatnot. Yeah, I mean, part of it, I, I do think it should be kept to a one-word thing, and, like, step makes a certain amount of sense, but, uh, you know, I don't know. Oof. Shimmy. Um, shimmy. Scooch. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> um, all right, well, we're kind of at the end of our, our time. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we haven't we go into, like, any specifics at all. Um, I'm sure we'll have... We'll do another one of these, if not next week, soon, because I'm, sh- I'm sure we're going to have a lot to talk about with this playtest as it goes definitely. on. Definitely, yep, definitely. Um, if not during the main segment, then definitely during the back halves. Um, uh, but uh, that being said, uh, we've got a, a little bit of, of, of week stuff to catch up on. How was, how was your week? Uh, my week was good. I mean, I feel like you want to, like, talk about Monster Hunter, right? Yeah, Monster Hunter, well, things to talk about are Monster Hunter, WoW, and I guess Sea of Thieves, since we just got done Yeah, we it. actually just played a bunch of Sea of Thieves, which is really funny. Yeah. Um, uh, I've also been playing the new Hearthstone expansion a little bit, so there's that. There's a bunch of stuff, I guess, going on this week. Yeah, um, well, let's, do, do we want to start with, uh, with Sea of Thieves, because we just did it, and also it's probably a shorter bit. Okay, uh, sure. Yeah, so we played Sea of Thieves with uh, friends of the cast, uh, Nick and also my brother Greg, who's been on the cast, um, and uh, they added some stuff in. Um, they added a, dr- a new a new instrument, which is a drum. They added um, uh, there was something else they added in that that, that caught my eye. Um, but I think part of the bigger things is that I I feel like the quests are a little bit more. Um, involved than they used to be, which I think is good, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think almost all of the, like, treasure chest ones were, um, were, like, like a map or, like, a single-step quest, and now they feel a little bit more involved. That might just, just have been, like, we didn't get far enough in the game thing. Um, they also added, uh, the new content in the form of these pirate, or the skeleton pirate ships, which we didn't actually ever get to in our session, but it's good to see that kind of stuff is there. Yeah. Um... Uh, yeah. Uh, did you, did you have anything else, any, anything to comment on it? I, you know, I just like that game. I don't yeah. know what else to say about it. It's just fun. And I, I get people shitting on it and I get that I haven't played it all that much for a $60 release or whatever. And I'm probably not, you know, like making my money back in like a, in any kind of like reasonable metric, but it just feels good to play. And I was really glad that I played it and I'm glad that I could play it. You know, like at the at the drop of a hat. I don't know. Yeah. That's just it was just fun. Yeah, no, I I, th- I think what it buys, like the thing it buys with not having progression is that you can drop in at any time, um, and it's like a thing that I think, like if if I if we ever got on the cadence of like we play once a month or we play like once every couple of months for an extended period of time. Yeah. Um, that that's kind of my ideal consumption of that game. And that's fine. It just requires a longer view of a game that I'm used to having. Um, uh, and I think that's really all I can say about that at this point. Um, on the flip side of that is a game that is designed to eat my life, which is Monster Hunter. Um, yeah, I hear it's very grindy. Uh, it It is very grindy, but it doesn't feel like... So, uh, there are three grindy games in my life right now. They are Warframe, 
uh, WoW and Monster Hunter. Um, and Monster Hunter feels the least grindy of them because each boss fight is involved and requires a fair amount of skill. And even though um, it can kind of get be relatively simple, it, st it still has like a bunch of factors to it. And I think that's what's got me hooked, right? Um, while it's not as complicated as a raid fight, I think it kind of scratches some of those same itches for me. Um, and uh, doing each of those as a raid fight rather than doing them as like kind of like a daily and well, I think is 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 good and what, what has me so hooked into it. I'm also not super deep into it, so I'm still like making reasonable progress with each quest. I know that like once you hit like high rank, um, things get significantly more grindy and drop right like anything that I have wanted has required one or two kills to get the requirements for a particular piece, maybe a handful more if I wanted a full set. Um, but it's never been like, you know, grinding the same monster 20 times to get a drop or something. Um, yeah. And I know that that gets worse as you get higher and maybe just kind of like rolling you into it. But uh, so far it's just, it's just been great. It's been, it's been fun mastering the weapon and mastering the different environments. The content is kind of unlocking at a pace where, like, when I'm starting to get tired of a particular environment, I've got a new one to, to look at. Um, well, the game is really pretty, which, which you know, I think is, is somewhat important. Um, and uh, the, the weapons are all, all distinct. I haven't really fooled around with much besides the hammer. Um, but, like, I'm eagerly awaiting, like, hooking up with, like, you know, the friend of the cash, John Ward and Nick, and maybe, like, switching out to a hunting horn so it can be a little bit more supporting or something. Um, or just seeing kind of how, uh, like, Nick's style with the longsword is different than my style with the hammer. Just kind of seeing those in use, and I think will be cool things moving forward. Yeah, yeah. Like, I get that. I'm definitely on board. I, th I think, uh, uh, you know, may maybe you don't want to throw your, your life away to it right now, but I think if it, like, goes on sale in a, in a while, that should be a game for you to pick up. I know that, like, several other people have. I uh, probably of... would have if BFA wasn't coming out On so Tuesday, soon. Yeah. yeah. Tuesday, yeah. Um, so that's, like, my big, uh, I guess, my big thing that I'm, like, walking into um, to a certain extent. But, yeah, I, I, I feel that. That makes a lot of sense to me. And I think that it's the kind of thing that I've actually always sort of wanted, in a way, from, like, an MMO. Um, like, I like the idea that, like, you and I and a bunch of our friends get together and we work on very iterative, um, skill-intensive sort of boss fights in a way that, like, WoW raids kind of do this, but don't at the same time. Um, and I wonder if, like, I don't know, I wonder if this would be a better... Um... Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit more forgiving, or it's a lot more forgiving, I think, than a, than a WoW boss fight, but, like, it also has, like, the ability for you to to optimize more right because like if you break certain parts of the monsters you get better rewards and uh if you capture the monster you get a different set of rewards so you're kind yeah. of like optimizing different ways and try out different things um uh and i think i think it would be it, it would be cool to uh to kind of get a group together to do that um but uh given that you've brought up this wow uh, i think that makes an excellent segue into uh talking about the pre uh uh, the 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 pre or the pre patch content. Yeah, how do you oh. feel about all of this like this lore that we're getting? Have you played through the Siege of Lord? I have played through the Siege of War. Uh, the, the Siege of War Crimes is what I'm going to call it. I didn't the mean Siege to. Siege of War Crimes. But you know you know what I like, uh, buddy. Yeah. I like being a proud member of the Horde. You know what that means? That means committing war crimes every day, all day. 
Um, and that's all we do on the horde, right? We speak at high so, do you, so, so this is an interesting kind of conversation. Do you think that Sylvanas' use of the blight constitutes a war crime? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Because, because the argument that gets made is that at a certain point, a lot of stuff could be considered like war crimes. Um, you know, like why is it any more terrible to die of the blight than it is to be frozen by Jaina's frost magic or something kind of along those lines, right? Um, because it is a different universe with different rules, right? Uh, healing is more intensive and better. So, like, hypothetically, you know, there's no such thing as, you know, uh, somebody walking, like a soldier walking into the front line with his eyes burned out because of, you know, chlorine gas or something like that. Because you can just cast a fucking heal spell on him and he and he is whatever. That's, the, that's like the devil's advocate argument that, that using the blight does not constitute a war crime. All right. I, I've got two, two counterpoints to that. One is she uses it on her own people, which I think is 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 you know like a step beyond the pale. Um, uh, the other one, which I think is is better and and more salient, is that the universe wants you to call it a war crime. I think right, like like this is basically Wrathgate 2.0, and Wrathgate was supposed to be um, that that's the right name, right, for the the thing yeah. that happened in North. Like that's supposed to be a war crime, like a hardcore war crime that no one could believe happened, and it's basically happening again. And I think that's the real nail in the coffin, is that. The universe, like, Teldrassil, I buy a little bit more, right? As it being like... A really? Um, I think it's bad, but I think that you can sell it in-universe as not being as bad. Um, Jesus Christ. Um, wow, that's interesting. Like, I'm much more on Sylvanas' side in the Siege of Lordaeron than I am in Teldrassil. Uh, I And I, I'm not, to be clear, I'm not on her side in either case. Sure. But I, but, I think yeah. because the universe tells you that... Um, the universe tells you that the thing, like the thing that you did at Lordaeron has already been established as a war crime makes it worse than, um, you know, like, I think you could invent an excuse that makes burning of Teldrassil justified. I don't think you can do that for the blight. Boy, that's interesting. Yeah. Cause I, I am on board with Sylvanas when she chews out Sourfang. I think Sourfang is being a piece of shit and Sylvanas is correct in saying, right? Like. You the look at the dead and tell me that their honor matters. Do you know what I mean? Like I think that so when she is kind of like we need to win this and we not we don't need to throw our lives away for stupid like petty bullshit Sourfang, you idiot. I'm pretty on board with her when she chews out Sourfang, but I am not on board with her when she's like, let's fucking commit genocide against the night elves because I don't know. I, I I am <laughs> I am dubious of the direction that Sylvanas has taken to a certain extent, just from a perspective of she simultaneously feels in character and out of character in like different points. Like Sylvanas is like cool and collected and Machiavellian and ruthless, so her like screaming burn it to. The Thanos feels very weird and out of character. And also, her comparing herself to Arthas is very weird and out of character. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, so I've, I've got a couple of thoughts on that. Um, one, um, maybe I just missed the memo or something, but I didn't really view the burning of Teldrassil as, like, a genocide, right? Like, more like, I guess, like the firebombing of Dresden or, like, the Biscreek, which are yeah, horrible I, things. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I guess I, I, I get that. That's um, fair. Um, and the other thing I would say is um, 
we I don't know if we ever talked about it on the cast, but we talked about how like it seems like Blizzard doesn't want like the the things in the books and the like to to like you it doesn't want you to have to read the books to understand what's happening in the game. But it, it the Sourfing thing felt weird to me because it felt like Blizzard didn't want you to have to go watch the old soldier cinematic. Um because like the old soldier cinematic, I think, did it well where he's like, I need, like, you know, there's no honor in this. I'm going to go out in a fight, right? Like, it's very Klingon, but, you know, that's fine, right? And Zappy Boy pulls him back from the brink, and that was nice. And then, like, you know, if we are to, like, put the timeline together, like, half an hour later, he's at it again. Oh, I'm going to go kill myself in battle, and Anduin has to talk him off the ledge, right? Like, those two things, one right after another, feel very bad. Like, it feels like one of them, like, one of them shouldn't have happened, but it feels like they didn't want to have to make people go watch the old soldier cinematic. I don't know. It feels Yeah, I mean, it's also weird because the Warbringer cinematic plays in-game. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I I kind of wish that the old soldier cinematic did as well. um, Yeah. Because I think it would be helpful in sort of, like, setting, like, the stage for this shit. Um, But, but yeah, I don't know. I'm also very disappointed. To be honest with you, I am, like, I am... Not super happy with, like, this stuff with, like, Sylvanas or whatever, but, like, the battle for Lordaeron I'm more okay with because it seems more in character. Like, I think it would have been weird to me if Sylvanas didn't use the Blight, you know? Um, I don't like that she kills her own troops with it, but at least that's more forgivable in a way than, like, firebombing a place with only civilians, right? Um, With only civilians left. Yeah, Um, so... Like, even, even Theramore, right, like... The point of Theramore was to round up a bunch of Alliance troops so that they were going to defend the city, and they allowed enough time for civilians to evacuate, and then Garrosh nuked it, right? Which was also a war crime, right, from the... um, I mean, it was literally in the book War Crimes about Garrosh's war crimes, right? So, uh, the Teldrassil thing is just like, boah. Yeah, so so I'm going to say something like... I don't think it's out of character for Sylvanas to blight Lordaeron, right? Like, I think that fits very well with who she is. And honestly, I don't even think it's a problem taken in isolation. I think the big problem and the reason I am frustrated is that it's we're like it feels like we're right on the heels of Garrosh, right? And the Horde doesn't ever have a chance to, like, not be evil, right? Like, like... Blizzard claims that this that, that you know the neither one is good and they're morally great, um, and it's pretty clearly not true, right? It's pretty clear that like the horde is mostly evil with like you know it, it feels like we're playing like renegade drow, um, in uh, as as like players in the horde, um, and that like most like the horde society isn't isn't great. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, my hope is that what I, I, I think that content that that quote has kind of been taken out of context to a certain bit, uh, uh, like point, because I think that is a point that is built for the future, right? Which is that like the horde is not always going to be this, and that like there are going to be like twists and turns, right? Um, and some of the data mine stuff seems to suggest that those twists and turns are coming. Um, because I guess I won't spoil any of this stuff, but like you know, like there is stuff on the horizon, let's say, um, that uh, puts the alliance in a worse light. And I'm hoping that what Blizzard means by that is to, is they mean to say, you know, so like like if this is a, if this is a war that was started by Sylvanas, right, and they're fighting, right, but like let's say we depose, you know, like like let's say we depose 
Sylvanas and install Sour Fang, right? And we all say the Sour Fang is now War Chief and Sour Fang is great. Well, what happens to the war? Does the war stop? Is Taronda Whisperwind going to forgive the Horde for standing by and letting Sylvanas? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we were there. We fought those battles, right? I mean, in the novella, it is Sour Fang's fault. The reason that she burns Teldrassil is because she wanted, like, her whole thing was she wanted to, like, quote unquote, kill Hope or whatever. And yeah. so she wanted to kill Malfurion and she left Sour Fang to do it. And then Sour Fang didn't. And she's like, well, I guess I gotta do something to kill their Hope. Let's burn the tree. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the case in the game, too, right? Like, you, you watch Sour Fang not kill Malfurion. Yeah. yeah. Um,. I don't know. I don't, so, I, I'd be so, hesitant like, to describe uh, that as Sour Fang's fault. Um, right, but if I'm yeah. Taronda, yeah, like, yeah, sure, sure, at sure. what point do I forgive Do I forgive Sour Fang? Do I just walk away from this shit? You know what I mean? Just because, like, I don't know. Like, And, and that's, the, that's the space I want this to be in. There's a movie that I really like called Dawn of the Planet of the Apes that I've talked about a couple of times on the podcast. What I love about Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is it really understands how stuff like this... I mean, I also just watched Ken Burns... Um, Vietnam War documentary and it's the like the exact same thing how like an unintended set of dominoes falling right results in two people going to war and even if the leaders of either side right are um and even if the leaders of either side are like like don't want that to happen which is the case in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes right um they are they are bound by kind of the momentum of the people around them, right? And they can't control everything. Um, and, I, and I'm kind of hoping that's what this is, right? That, you know, Battle for Azeroth comes out. We're doing Battle for Azeroth stuff. So, you know, Vol'jin gets resurrected. Sylvanas gets deposed, right? But now Vol'jin is in a position of hardcore warfare with the Alliance, and he can't just walk away from that, right? Right. We, sure, we would love to, but we can't. Or Bane Bloodhoof, or, you know, whoever it is, right? Um, especially with picking up Kul Tiras and, Zandal and Zandalar uh, and the Zandalari trolls. Um, in fact, it's interesting because the Kul Tirans seem to specifically really hate the Horde, whereas the Zandalari are kind of agnostic because they fought both Horde and Alliance kind of equally as like an, an enemy faction in Cataclysm and Missipandaria, right? Um, and I think that that's actually pretty interesting because like to what extent are we going to see... Um, you know, like, to what extent are we going to see the Kul'Tirans... You know, to what extent are we going to see the Alliance be like, well, we need the Kul'Tirans because we need to bolster our, you know, our side in this fight. But the Kul'Tirans are fucking out for blood, right? So we're not going to be able to back down. This is going to escalate the war no matter what. Whereas the Horde go and pick up the Zandalari, and the Zandalari are like, hey, man, we've got problems with fucking blood trolls and shit. Help us out with that. And it's a very much more typical sort of, like, you're fighting an, an NPC kind of group. Right. I don't know. I, I didn't know any of this stuff. BFA comes out tomorrow, obviously. Um, so I'm sure we'll have plenty of to talk about when it comes to this stuff next week. Yeah. No, I'm, I, I am. I'm actually super excited for it. Um, yeah. I, it, it's interesting because I don't consider. I, I think uh, partisanship is a problem when it comes to WoW um, factions, uh, where people get like personally invested in the Horde or the Alliance outside of. <sighs> Like, I don't really know how to say, like, outside of what is, like, I guess, reasonable, right? Like, it's like a, it's like waifuism or something like that, you know? Because, you know, at the end of the day, the Horde and the Alliance are both fictional. And right. so, 
I, like I don't think people should be investing themselves and their emotions and stuff like that personally. And I'm 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 interested in the story, right? Like I like the story and I like Sylvanas because I think she's interesting. But I also like in universe I hate Sylvanas, right? Or my characters think Sylvanas yeah. is awful. Um, in the same way that I would think, you know, I don't know. I think Killmonger is an interesting, or even better than that. I think Zod, General Zod in Man of Steel, is an interesting character, and I like him as a character, and I think he's a good villain, right? But in universe, I think he's awful. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Cersei Lannister in Game of Thrones, any of these other kind of villains that you like, quote unquote, love to hate, I think are uh, are what Sylvanas sort of is, and people sort of miss that to a certain extent. I, I mean, I, I think the problem is is that when you're playing a video game, there is a desire to kind of like self-insert right like that's, yeah that's like that's part of the strength of the medium and at that point it's harder to kind of like give those things a pass especially when you're especially when you just like just went through this with garage right like i feel yeah, like this yeah. thing's a lot less if if it's just sylvanas being crazy um uh you know rather like without being like relatively hot on the heels of, of, of garage um which i think is it's it's interesting right because like I say that, and I believe it, and I think it's, like, true to the story, but, like, that's also, like, a relatively old plotline, right? Like, that's, like, Pandaria and Warlords, which at this point is, like, two two expansions ago, but it still feels so fresh. Um, maybe that's just because we haven't had, like, a a strong Horde leader to be, like, I don't know, I guess Sylvanas was, was being crazy in, 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 in uh, Legion as well, um... I just don't think we've had we've had like a, a solid storyline with with a with a quote unquote good war chief um, in a while. Yeah, I, I think a lot of this boils down to the decision. See, I'm actually the thing that I'm most frustrated by. I think is the decision to bump Anduin up to High King. I think that is bad. Um, I think when Varian died, there should have been some kind of like whatever, right? And and they go Anduin, you're too young. You don't get to be High King. It's going to be x y or z right again just make it again and it's fine. you know like taronda or something kind of like that and so you kind of have i i would feel a lot better about that uh i i was actually talking about that w with a friend of ours um who is very much an alliance partisan to be honest sorry lou uh but uh, the frustrating thing to me is that and the alliance is actually very uninteresting to me right now they are just kind of unambiguously right and anduin is like a perfect boy and i feel like he's just like you know, if Thrall was green Jesus, I feel like Anduin is just going to be blonde Jesus. Um, <laughs> because, I, I don't know. It's like, yeah. they're, they're, I, I could get really into Varian, right? Because there is that heat and that anger and he jumps to conclusions and he was impulsive and reckless. But that was also like tempered, right? And he was trying to be a really good king. And I could really get into it because like he's a flawed character who's trying to overcome his flaws, right? Um, I've said before that I think he is the best character in World of Warcraft. Um, it's except for Arthas, I think he's the best character in the Warcraft universe in general. Um, and it frustrates me that like Anduin is just kind of so I don't know, so like perfect. And I wish that he was put in his place by someone like Tyrande. Um, right? Like Anduin says something like, "We should be, you know, we should be fighting for peace, right? Not not the prosecuting this war." And Tyrande's like. Bitch, my people are an endangered species right now. Don't fucking tell me that we should be trying to get peace with those monsters. Because, like, that's what, that's what I feel like he needs, and I haven't seen that voice come out yet. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you could still have Edwin be a golden boy. It's just put, making him the High King makes things 
difficult. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's also it also sucks because in the novellas, I I like I actually like the idea of Sylvanas's original plan, which was to hold Darnassus hostage, right? Um, and kind of create a division in the ranks of the alliance because her idea was that like okay well we hold now two kingdoms we hold Gilneas um, and we hold Darnassus right and and now you have Tyrande and again both pressuring Anduin to help the excuse me to help them reclaim their homes back <gasps> oh fuck Jesus um, and I think that that's actually pretty interesting right but then in the novella it is revealed because Anduin points that out and Ken is like I would never I am so fucking loyal to you you know there is no dissension in these ranks or whatever and I was like come on man you can't give me anything like fuck yeah. um, <laughs> heal your dog Anduin yeah. I, thought that, I thought that was a good line I like that line oh, I loved Sylvanas in that whole thing yeah. uh, I thought that was that was super great <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm, I'm waiting for, like, crazy Jaina to come out, because that, that's what I expect, is, like, Jaina yeah. to, like, go too far or something. Um, although, I, yeah. like, I don't know, I feel like there, there, there's, like, an interesting parallel that you could do, right? Like, um, like I don't think the fact that, like, you know, my people are an endangered species thing has been emphasized a bunch, and, like, that draw like, with, with, the, uh, with the Night Elves, I think that draws, like, an interesting parallel with the Undead, because that's essentially Sylvanas' argument, too, in a lot of ways. Right. Um... And they're sisters, and I think you can make a whole, like, arc out of that. Well, Tyrande and Sylvanas are not sisters. Illyria oh. and Sylvanas are oh. sisters. Oh, uh, who's who's their third sister? Verisa. Uh, what what's she doing? She is a high elf. Uh, it's dumb. It's very dumb. Is she one of the rogue people? No, 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 no. Okay. She is a. Uh, uh, so, uh, um, okay, so. She is the wife of the former leader of the Kirin Tor, which was Cadgar's apprentice, Ronin. Um, and Ronin died in Theramore. In fact, Ronin pushed Jaina through the portal and said, you're the leader of the Kirin Tor now, which doesn't make a ton of sense. Um, and then uh, the portal closed and he died and Verisa was like left over. And then Jaina expelled the horde from Dalaran because she was so mad. Um, and Verisa's also on that, right? Because obviously like, her fucking husband died in like right, a right. nuke. Um, Illyria was obviously like gone for forever, and then like yeah. just recently. Now she's back. a void elf. Yeah, now she's and now she's a void elf, but she's pretty when she wants to be, which I don't think is great. But whatever, who cares? Eh. Uh, yeah. Well, you know that the elves are gonna elf. Yeah. You know what? I'm. I. I think we need more elves in WoW. I don't think there's, <laughs> don't think there's enough types. Um. <laughs> um. Uh, but yeah, um, did you want to briefly talk about the Hearthstone expansion? Oh man, Hearthstone is like a fucking mess right now. There's a whole bunch of like combo decks running around and they're really like bad and I don't like them, but whatever, it's fine. Uh, I, there's plenty of Hearthstone to, to go on in the next couple of, uh, weeks or whatever. So I'm sure we'll get back to it. Yeah. Uh, anything else you wanted to talk about before, uh? Fully. No, I guess I guess that's our. Uh, I, guess, uh, I guess that's the end of our podcast. Well, yeah, because we didn't play Hell's Rebels this week. No, we didn't. Or anything. Uh, um, yeah, uh, we haven't played Starfinder in forever either. Group, which is unfortunate, but uh, yeah. Um, well, in that case, if you would like to talk to us about the Pathfinder 2 playtest or any of the other things we talked about on this podcast, you can email us at subversplaygames at gmail.com or podcast at subversplaygames.com. 
Uh, you can follow us on twitch.tv slash nerdsplaygames whenever we do get around to playing Hell's Rebels. Um, you can follow us on Twitch, or on Twitter, rather. Um, you can follow us on Twitch, too. Um, leave comments on uh, SoundCloud, on anywhere. Please leave us reviews on iTunes and uh, f- wherever good podcasts are found. Um, and I think that's everything I had. Buddy, do you have anything else you want to promote? I have nothing else that I'm looking to promote. In that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.